All right, thank you very much, guys. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. While you're turning there, uh, Children's Church dismissed. While you're turning there, I forgot to mention a while ago, Colleen told me that, uh, you know, we had taken the bottles in, our baby bottles, the baby bottle boomerang for Save a Life, uh, and that the church, uh, the, the response we got back from them is that uh, it was $1,288 that was given towards uh, the Save a Life. And that's a, that's a noteworthy thing for a little bitty church like this. And so I'm, I'm grateful uh, to the Lord that he put it on your heart. And uh, to go and speak uh, volumes, I think, through that uh, of saying that we cherish life and we, we believe that life is important, right? Um, and not only for babies, but we believe all life is important. We believe that uh, every, every human uh, that is out there is important. So uh, let's, uh, let's pause and pray as we get ready to just enter into a time of study of God's Word. Uh, William has said a while ago, we, we understand here that there is nothing that is revealed to us this morning except that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals it. Uh, that uh, the pastor is simply the, the mouthpiece, uh, but any understanding that you gain ultimately is because the Spirit of God has illuminated that to your heart. And so that is the prayer that we enter into and say, Father, would you be the one who sends your Spirit this morning and that he would illuminate the Word, elucidate the Word in our hearts uh, that he would be glorified. That is our goal this morning, that he would be glorified. Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that you are awesome, that you are holy, that you are righteous, and even as your word declares that there is none like you. And we are grateful this morning as we open up uh, the sacred word, and we believe it is, that by your spirit this morning you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, that we would not just be here for the sake of being here, but that we would just let our attention be focused on you and your word, all the distractions that lay ahead of us this next week, that they could be laid aside, all the things that have been passed this last week, that we could set them aside as well, and just for a while, we can hear you speak to us through your word. Lord, we love you, and we know that we love you because you first loved us. It's all by your grace that we're even here. So we pray that Jesus would be lifted up this morning, that he would be the very focus of what we're doing. And we pray that in Jesus Christ's name, and the church said. Amen. Let me grab a drink. I'm like a lot of y'all this morning, a little scratchy in the throat. I put a little extra wax on my mustache so it could repel the water. <laughs> we should be good. All right, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Let me read them and we'll go back and begin to unpack some things out of God's Word. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that you may be tried, 
and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Well, last week, you will remember, we were introduced to the almost perfect church, right? Study of the church of Ephesus. And you will remember that that was a church that had a very rich heritage of leadership. I mean, you had Apollos, you had Paul, I mean, you had Timothy, and it ended up with John. As a matter of fact, the tradition says that John was arrested while he was pastoring the church of Ephesus and then was exiled to the island of Patmos simply for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it was a church that had the right type of leadership that was there. It was a church that had good works of ministry. You, you remember from last week that we said that it was a church that the Lord commended them. He says, you have labored in the ministry. And that word labored came with the idea that it was the type of labor where they exhausted themselves and working in the ministry. So it was a church, great leadership. It was a church that, that worked hard at ministry. It was a church that had the right type of doctrine. In other words, it was orthodox in what they believed. It, it wasn't just you know, some of the stuff that, that we hear today that they were hearing back then. Can, can I just comfort us a little bit this morning to understand that there is nothing new under the sun? Uh, the, the scriptures make it very clear there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that. What's been said will be said. What's been done will be done. And so when we see these old heresies that were prominent back then, we still see them today. But can I tell you, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? I mean, so we're, we're able to take confidence in that. But we want to be an educated people about what is going on in the world and about what God says about his church. And they were a church that had the right doctrine right? They knew what the scripture said and they followed what the scripture said. They were a church that was intolerant of sin. Now, don't get me wrong here. I, I think that there, we as a people need to be intolerant of sin. In, in other words, we need, we need to confront sin when we see it. People say that, you know, a church ought to be a place where everybody is comfortable. I totally disagree with that. I believe that if you come into a church and you're living a life of sin, that you should not feel comfortable. That the Holy Spirit ought to be working in your life and saying, you need to change. Now, the difference is, is we as a people don't need to be get up on our high horse and self-righteous and, and begin to bulge in the neck and veins sticking out and slobbering and spitting and calling everybody horrible sinners. Because we understand that we are still walking in this thing called grace ourselves. Right? So, they were a church that was intolerant of sin, and yet... They had left the greatest characteristic that is essential for a church, and that is the love for Jesus Christ. You see, if you really love Christ, then you will love one another. And if you really love one another and you love Christ, you'll have a love for lost people. I'm so grateful somebody loved me. How many of y'all saw, saw that? I, I really was a little irritated with my little sister. She posted a picture of me. Did anybody see that? I, you know what? I should have just kept my mouth shut. But you will see a skinny hippie with very long hair. It was beautiful hair. Yeah. Let, me, let me just say, I'm grateful for a little, little church much like this that loved me. 
shared the gospel with me. And for 40-some years now, I've been walking with this kind Savior, Jesus. This morning, we want to talk about another church, the church that we have just read about. Our study tells us that this church was crushed for Christ. It was a church that suffered greatly because of their love for Jesus Christ, just the opposite that the church of Ephesus had left, left their first love, but this church suffered because of their love. In our study this morning, we're going to see who the letter was written to. We're going to see what was written to the church, what the response should be to the letter, and then finally, a promise to those who respond. And I'll try to highlight those points as we go through again. The first being, again, who was the letter written to? It was written to the church of Smyrna. It's what we find in verse 8. We'll discuss a little bit more about that, but let me first tell you how Christ identifies himself to that church. You look back there and it says in verse 8, to the, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last. Let me just stop right there. That's the first thing that Jesus identifies himself. Now remember, as we went back and as we first started this, that Jesus said that he is the one who walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. He is the one who walks in the midst of of the church and in this today he identifies himself as the first and the last and it's very significant Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6 tells us this makes a clear implication that Christ is making to his church here's what it says thus saith the Lord the King of Israel and his Redeemer the Lord of hosts I am the first and the last and beside me there is none I want you to just dwell on that just for a moment. Now, Jesus speaking to the church is making very clear that he is God. And we as a church this morning need to understand that when we come into the presence and we sing about Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, it is God. That's who we're speaking of here. And he makes it clear to them. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the Almighty, and beside me there is none. Now we are able to say that, but we need to make that sure that we mean that. In other words, when we say and see that he says that there is none beside him, we need to shelve everything else when it comes to who he is in our lives. He wanted the church there to know that, that this Jesus who dictates the letter is the eternal, infinite God that transcends time, space, and creation. Do you see him that way this morning? Do you see him as that God who transcends all time, who transcends all space, he transcends creation because he is the creator. And, and you see, this church needed to hear that. Because it was a church that was just being crushed, persecuted, because they loved him. And they needed to know that he was that God who transcended all of that. He was that God who understood the very place that they were in. It was a comforting message to them. 
He goes on to say in his description of who he is, he says that he was dead and is alive. Christ, who is God, allowed his own physical death in order to conquer death and the grave. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16 declares this, that he has the power of an endless life. I want you to think about that. Now, for those of us who are getting a little bit older, we realize how quickly life passes by. As a matter of fact, you know, I would tell the young people here that you will hear old people say this, and I want to tell you that it's the truth, because I remember being your age when people told me that, and I was saying, okay, you know, life gets faster as you get older. Let me tell you what, life gets faster once you get older. As a matter of fact, the Bible says don't waste the days of your youth, because there will be a day that you're not going to be able to do the things that you are now. And don't waste them on things that don't matter. Do the things that do matter for all eternity. Because there will be a point that you're not going to be able to do it. But he wants this church to know and saying, I am the one who has a power over eternal life. And I am grateful. Listen, let me just say this, and I hope you can say this in the same way. I am absolutely positive that when I die, I will go to heaven to be with my Lord. You see, because I'm not placing any faith in anything that Jim Jones does or has done. I am placing all of my faith in the one who declares himself to be the one who is dead and is alive forevermore. You see, this was of major significance to this church because there were those who were literally giving their lives for the cause of Christ. They're dying for Christ. And he says he wants them to know, listen, I'm the one who was dead, but now I'm alive. In other words, he's saying, don't you worry about that because I will be there and you will have life. Now, we're not facing that type of persecution in this country, but I will tell you that there are many of our brothers and sisters worldwide who are. He has the power of an endless life. The church of Smyrna needed the comforting message that Christ was God and that he transcended the temporal matters and that he was the guarantee of eternal life. Can I tell you, church, that that same message is true for us? That he's that God who transcends these temporal things that are going on in this world. I, I mean, people have got their tails twisted in a knot over so many things in this world and we just simply need to understand that God is in charge. It doesn't mean that we don't do something. We do. But to worry about things that, that we cannot change, simply trust God in them. And here was a church that was suffering tremendously and they needed to hear that he was the God who was first and last, is eternal. He is the God who has control over life and death and eternal life. They needed to hear that. I think it's a message we need to hear. I was talking to somebody before we started this, you know, and I joked about the coronavirus. Hey, listen, don't worry about the coronavirus. Are you in God's hands? Right? Is he sovereign? If he's sovereign, then nothing is going to happen to us that God has not foreordained to happen, right? So relax. Relax. 
And if he chooses to take me in that way, then praise the Lord. Right? By the way, you may get hit on the way down to Struts this afternoon and never get that hamburger you wanted. So don't worry about it. The church of Smyrna might be called the crushed church because it was a church that suffered under extreme persecution. It is interesting that Christ really has no rebuke or correction for this church, only words of encouragement. I think that's unique. It tells me one thing, that God knows exactly where that church is at. And as I said, the description that it gives us a couple of weeks ago that he has eyes as flames of fire, that his eyes are penetrating, he knows what goes on in not just the church of Smyrna, but he knows what goes on in the church at here at Westside. That there's nothing that escapes him. He knows the thoughts and intentions of every man and woman that is sitting here this morning. Nothing escapes his view. And in this case, he has only words of encouragement for this church. We get the word Smyrna from, or the word myrrh, actually from the word Smyrna. And you will remember that myrrh is something that was a fragrant uh, type of uh, extract. As a matter of fact, it was produced by crushing a plant, and it produced this fragrant substance that was used both for the living and the dead. As a matter of fact, it's one of the gifts, right, that, that, the, the, that was brought to the Lord. And, and they would use that to really, you know, to sweeten up the smell of the living and, and, uh, and then also to kind of cover over the odor of the dead. And it was, again, produced by this crushing. And as they would crush it, out of that plant would come a substance that they would turn into this fragrance. And what a beautiful picture that the Lord uses in this, this little city, this church of Smyrna, that was being crushed. Crushed for their faith and love of Jesus Christ, but out of that came a sweet aroma that rose up to the Lord. Can I tell you that what a, what a, what a picture that he wants them to know, saying, listen, I know that you're being crushed, but it means more to me that I smell the sweet aroma coming up from that. And let me remind you again, they were being crushed, they were being persecuted because of their love for the Lord and their unwillingness to abandon that love and faithfulness to Him. We live in a world... And I'm talking folks that call themselves Christians. You often have a hard time getting them to come to church more than once a week. Who are fearful to share that they are a Christian. This church was not. This church was being crushed because they refused to disavow their love for Jesus Christ. And it cost them. And we'll see how it cost them as we walk through this. The city of Smyrna itself was a city that was 
noted as a center for science and medicine. It was also noted being a city that was loyal to Rome and they practice emperor worship in that city. That's significant as we'll walk through this, but listen, you can have a, a society that is a society that has on the cutting edge. The cutting edge and call themselves civilized. And yet, that civilized society were the very ones who came in to destroy those who loved Jesus Christ. Can I tell you as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. As a matter of fact, I think we should expect those things should happen. And I would dare say this, that sometimes when we find ourselves, when there is no persecution at all, perhaps, perhaps, it's because we have forsaken our first love. And we're more willing to love the applause of the world and getting along with the world rather than suffering the persecution for those who hate Christianity. I believe that the church is living in that day. But as I said earlier, that day has been all along. It just seems like it's getting more now. I love what he says to them. Here's what is written to the church. This would be your second point. Here's what is written to them in verse 9. He says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He just starts with the very first thing, and I would just call you to take note. He says, I know. I know. I know. I'm aware of this faithful church. I am aware of what you are enduring. I am aware of how you will endure, and I am aware of the outcome of your endurance. Can I tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, take heart. He knows. Amen. He is aware. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in America. He knows what's going on in the world. My, my, you know, our Lord is the one who has said all of these things will take place. God isn't up there reacting to what man is doing. Man is simply doing what God has said is going to happen. And he's letting the church know, listen, I know where you're at. I know the tribulation that you are facing. That persecution, that tribulation that the Bible speaks of here was a result of their faithfulness to the Lord. You see, one of the things that was done there in Smyrna was emperor worship. And emperor worship was not just saying, hey, you know, I believe that, uh, you, know, you know, Caesar is Lord. Right? You need to understand behind that's why Paul says that to confess Jesus Christ with your mouth. You see, today we make, we make no big deal out of that. Oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. But listen, if you were living in this day, 
and you refuse to acknowledge that Caesar was Lord, and here come the Roman guys along, and they're walking along, and they've got their, uh, the incense that, that needed to be offered up, and you would bow down and declare before them that Caesar was Lord and offer sacrifice to him. And if you were the Christian and you did not do that, you were run through right then. It cost you your life. So to confess Jesus Christ as Lord meant more than just saying, Oh, Jesus is Lord. I think that it's so trite today in the way that we say it. That there was a cost to it. And this church understood that because under this emperor of Domitian, it, they called on them to do the same thing, to declare and honor and worship him. Listen, Christians are called to submit to the law of the land until such a time that it conflicts with a higher calling to God. Amen. You grab that? Hey, we, we need to, you know, if I go out and, and speed to get home, then I need, to, I need to, you know, if I get a ticket, then I deserve that ticket, right? Right? But I'm going to tell you what, when it comes time to saving babies' lives, it is a higher call than anything that this government says. And when it comes time to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, it, it is a greater call to disobey uh, the law of man and obey the law of God. Amen. And that's what this church was doing. They were paying the price for what they saw as their love for Jesus Christ. And because they refused to worship the emperor, they faced the wrath of Rome and their fellow citizens of Smyrna. They would not mix in the idea that all religions and worships of gods are equal. You may have seen them. They're not as popular now, but there used to be these bumper stickers that said coexist. And it's got all the, you know, it's got a cross and Star David and some other, you know, you know, maybe a half moon for Islam. I, listen, can I tell you what? You can't coexist. God says, I am the most high and there is yes. none other yes. beside me. Yes. You see, he declares himself to be the most high. There's no wiggle room at the top. He is either the most high or as he is no high. And this, this church says we will not coexist in that sense that we will say all religions are the same. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, there are people capitulating to this very doctrine of demons in our churches today. That are saying, listen, we just need to all get along. After all, we're serving the same God. We're just getting there in different ways. My friend, that is the doctrine of demons. And when we stand against that, be prepared. Listen, I, I see, I've told you many times, I think one of the greatest persecutions of the church will be the apostate church who persecutes the true church. Because the apostate church is saying, we will do whatever to get along with society. And Jesus is just a way to get there. No, Jesus is the only way. Because he declares himself to be the most high. And there is no God beside him. These false concepts, lies, run again rampant in our society. Somebody told me about a 
lady by the name of Jen Hatmaker, I think that's her name, in case you're not familiar with her. She worked her way into Christian circles, actually into Southern Baptist. A few years ago, they had to pull her material off the shelves because she completely turned her views on Christianity, that the church had gotten everything wrong all these years, and that now she had insight and that you know, the views of the Bible when it comes to homosexuality and same-sex marriage and just a plethora of other things the church had gotten wrong, but she knows now that we had it wrong, but she's got it right. You see, this church says, no, we're going to stick with what God says, even if it cost us everything. They were the persecuted church. They were called, or they were also persecuted by those who call themselves Jews, but were not. This group of people accused them of cannibalism. They accused them of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper, because they, some we say that this is the Lord's body, this is the Lord's blood, right? And they said, well, they're cannibals. They accused them of being homebreakers because there were times that one would become a believer and the other wouldn't, and then they would end up splitting in their marriage, even though Paul had made it clear that if the unbeliever wants to stay with the believer, they stay in the marriage. But if the unbeliever wants to leave, let them go. They were accused of being home wreckers. They were accused of being disloyal to the government because they refused emperor worship. Jesus said that these Jews were the synagogue of Satan. Let me, let me just pause here and say something. We support chosen people ministries. We support missionaries who are Jews, who go to Jews to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with God's people, right? His chosen people, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Now, I need to say that because there is a rise of anti-Semitism in the church. That there are people in the church who are saying that the Jews are, are bad. They're, you know, that's, listen, that's God's people. We, we are, we're the wild olive branch that has been grafted in. We have the privilege of, of serving this God. And, and by the way, the responsibility of the Jews was to take the message to the world. And that's the responsibility of the church is to take the message to the world. But the great news is we're studying Revelation. One of these days, listen, after chapter 3, by the way, the church is gone. It's not mentioned anymore. And it all comes back to the Jewish people again. And they begin, the, they begin to be the ones carrying the torch again. Because the church is gone. Amen. Right? Now, so here are these people that Jesus said, I know that there are this group that they say they're Jews, but they are not. This group of Jews may have been Jews outwardly, but they were not true Jews, as Paul notes in Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29. He says, listen, it's not, it's not the outwardness that makes that man a Jew, it's the inwardness that makes him a Jew. Can I tell you something else that that would apply to Christians today? It's not just because you say you're a Christian, and it's not because you just show up to church. It's not because you were born in a Christian family. Friend, it is not that reason at all. It is because Christ has done a work on the inside, and if he hasn't done a work on the inside, you are nothing on the outside. And I believe, again, the persecution, a great amount of the persecution that will come to the church will be from the apostate church that has an outward appearance. 
that may call themselves Christians. And in this case, it was a group of Jews who called themselves Jews, but they really weren't because their hearts were a stone rather than a flesh. Amen? Amen. Don't fall into the trap of thinking and attacking God's people. Now, Jesus further says that he knew their poverty. He knew their tribulation. He knew their poverty. Why were there so many that were poor? Many of those who had come to Christ were, first of all, from the slave class. Uh, they they were, didn't have property of their own, didn't have anything. They were owned by somebody else, as a matter of fact, but they had come to Christ. They were poor people. And there were many others who had been driven to poverty because of their refusal to go along with society and had been forced out of business and home. It's called social persecution. It's really where we're at in America today. It, it, that is the persecution that we're facing right now, and who knows what it will transpire in the future. We don't know. But right now it is that. Listen, you know, you, you get sued because you're a cake baker and you won't make a cake for a gay couple. So you get sued and you've been sued and sued and sued, or you're a florist, or whatever. You, just, you throw whatever on there, that is the place we're in right now, you see, and it's just like this society that there was this social persecution of saying, listen, if you don't go along with us, we will force you out of business and we will take everything you have and you will live in poverty. You don't think it can happen? It is happening. It's just in America, we've been in this bubble for so long. Now, the Lord looks at that and he says, but you're rich. I know your poverty, but you're rich. Why are they rich? Because they were storing up for themselves things in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't come in and destroy In America, we have been lulled into this idea that we will live forever here. And we do everything we can to make sure that we comfort ourselves with every possible comfort. We lay up more for ourselves here and now than we do in the hereafter. This church had no choice. Everything they had was being stripped away from them because of their love for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, listen, I know. I know. I see your poverty. I see the persecution that you are undergoing. Christ sees and reminds them that the eternal things are those things that will last. Then he goes on to tell them in verse 10, he says, don't fear what you are going to suffer you know, at the very thought of that, in America, we cringe. Wait a minute, suffer? Suffer? We don't like the idea of that. I want comfort. I drive through the drive-thru, and I'm wondering why it takes, you know, two minutes to get through the drive-thru. Right? We're, we're a society that is, that is on demand. Even we have stuff, you know, TV or whatever, on demand. On, I want it, and I want it now. 
And the idea of, of comfort being taken from us is not an appealing thing. And yet Jesus tells them, you're going to suffer. It's coming. And they're going, I thought we were. And he goes, no, you'll suffer more. You'll suffer more. It's not the first time Christ has warned the church that life involves sufferings, especially suffering for him. John 16, says, in this world you'll have tribulation, you'll have suffering. He says, but don't worry about it. I'm paraphrasing now. I've overcome the world. Peter says that. He tells the church in chapter 4, 1 Peter, he says, don't be surprised at these things that come on you. Why are you surprised about them? You know what, if, if we as Christians could just grab this concept that this world is full of suffering and tribulation, but if we look at it for the right reasons to suffer for the cause of Christ, it just helps us to walk through life. You know, one of the, the worst things is just not knowing, right? But if you know what to expect, you know, I did a few combat tours here and there, and, and I knew that every time that I left, there was somebody who was going to try to kill me. Well, it made it easier to get out if you know that, right? But if you're just like walking along, and then people start shooting at you, it's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Well, if you know that's going to happen, then you're prepared for it. Can I tell you what, church? You need to understand that you're going to suffer. If you live for Christ. Now, we may not suffer as others do in different places, but you may have to give up friendships. I was telling, and, I, and I've shared this with you before. I remember when I became a Christian, and I shared with our Sunday school class this morning, when, when my, the guys that I ran with, which were not very good people, right? Neither was I. And I came home, and there was a sign, a, not a sign, a cross in my yard with a sign affixed to it that says, Here lies Jim Jones dead to us. Made a very clear statement that, you know, you're not part of us anymore. As a matter of fact, don't come around us anymore, or we may make this a reality. We need to understand that as God's people. This church understood that, and Christ says, Listen, you're going to suffer. Satan is at the root of persecution. He hates God's people and he wants to destroy them. Amen. The Bible says he's like a lion walking around, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. And I will tell you this, if you're on the outskirts of the herd thinking you can walk around and get away from God's people and just walk in the world, there is a lion that is waiting to snatch you up. We should embrace trials and tribulations because it is for God's glory and for our good. I don't have a lot of time to go into it this morning, but there was a man by the name of Polycarp. Some of you would have heard of him. He was from Smyrna. He was an elder, an older Christian who loved the Lord. And to make a long story short, word got out that they were going to destroy Polycarp. They wanted to kill him because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And he ran from a couple of places. They captured a couple of young boys. And again, I'm paraphrasing this story. I wish I had the time to go into detail, detail on it, because it's just amazing. But they tortured these young men, and they finally told where Polycarp was at. 
The soldiers show up. They find Polycarp. He realizes that, listen, I don't need to run. He had actually had a dream night, one night before they came. He was laying on his pillow, and his pillow was engulfed in fire. And he woke up and told his friends, he says, I will die by fire. God has chosen to take my life by being burned. And so he waited, and he got there, and sure enough, they, they get him, they take him, and they're hauling him back, and they have a couple of leaders there, and don't, I don't have their names in front of me, but they said, listen, Polycarp, this is easy. Just, just say that you worship the emperor and bow your knee. And they were being sweet to him and saying, that it, it, it'll, it just take a moment to do this. And he refuses, he says, I will not deny my Lord. And they were riding along in a chariot, you know, and they were, they were being nice to him. And as soon as they realized he was serious about denying the Lord, they threw him, it says they threw him off the chariot as it was moving. And he hit so hard that it dislocated, uh, you know, his leg. They grabbed him up and then they take him to the proconsul. And they say, deny Christ, worship the emperor. And he refuses to do it. And he says, don't you realize that I, will, I have the power to turn wild beasts on you? It was, it was, a, it was a, a show that they would do. They would literally turn wild beasts, lions, uh, bulls, whatever, to, to just rip into people and tear them apart, usually Christians. He says, don't you realize I have the power to release wild beasts on you? And Polycarp stood erect and he says, and this, these are from witnesses, he says, bring them on. Bring them on. And they would have done it, but they had already basically exhausted that. And the crowd says, we don't want to see that anymore. We want to see something different. That says, well, then we will burn you. And he says, bring the flames on them. I will not deny my Lord. So they gathered the wood, all of them in a hurry. Whole city just loving to see this. They gathered the wood. They got ready, and they have a stake in the center. They get ready, and they're going to nail him to the stake. And he says, you won't need that. He says, God will sustain me. He says, no need to nail me to it. So they bound him. They lit the fire. Now, these are witnesses. I, now, this is a miracle, and I, I will say it is a miracle. Now, now, we're not out looking for miracles today, but I'm telling you, God, use this. They lit the fire, and it says that he, as he burned... This is what witness says, that his skin looked like baked bread, and a sweet aroma came up off of it, and that he did not die in the flames, and to the point that they stabbed him and ran him through, and his blood came out, and he died that way. But I'm, folks, I'm just telling you, here was a man who said, I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ. Some of you went up and looked the, what I told you about on Facebook, that in 1915, the Armenian Christian women who were crucified for their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what it was like. I'm sure the pain was excruciating, but I'm going to tell you what, I believe that there was something going on there in their spirit that far exceeded the moment of physical pain that they endured. And so it is with us, so it is with this church, that if we will stay faithful to Jesus Christ, he will give us the endurance we need. He said, you will suffer for 10 days. I can go into a lot on this. Don't have the time this morning, obviously. 
I need to hurry and finish this. Seems best that literally there was 10 days of an extreme, extreme persecution. But they endured because Christ enabled them to endure. But what should our response be? What should be the response of those who read and hear? Well, the response should be the same as always. We need to do what God calls us to do. We need to be faithful. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Be faithful to the point of death. Can I say, you know, it's not likely in America right now that we're going to have to face that. Not right now. Maybe in the future. Maybe. I don't know. But can I tell you this, that the church in America, maybe what some of us really need to think about doing is being faithful to the point of death of dying to ourselves. Dying to our own selfish desires. And living for the cause of Christ. Hear and do what Christ calls us to do. Just reading and hearing are not enough. We must respond to what he says. I wonder how many of us will walk out of here today and by tonight you will not even remember what was said. Won't give the rest of the week one bit of reflection over the word of God. What's the result of hearing and doing? We receive the crown of life and we have no fear of the second death. I will confess to you, I looked this week at some of the things that are going on in our country, and when I see a presidential candidate kissing his illegitimate marriage partner, it breaks my heart. It doesn't make me angry. I remember just saying to the Lord, I was walking around outside in the dark, doing my evening chores, and I said, Lord, sometimes I just get tired of living in this world that I'm in. I so much long to be in a world that you have made, to where you are honored, to where you are glorified. But you see, just like this church, you and I are called to the day and time that we're in. And we're called to endure the things that we're going through and to live for Christ, and to shine as a light in this dark world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day that you have given us. Thank you for the patience of your people and hearing your word. We pray that you would be honored. We pray, God, that, if, that you would speak to the lost. Oh, Holy Spirit, convince them of your righteousness and of their unrighteousness. Grant them repentance. Help them to cry out for mercy. And we know that when they do, that you, Lord, grant mercy. We pray, God, for your people today. Lord, that we would take here, that we would hear what the Spirit says, and that we would do. For your glory, for our good, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.